Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. It's V the Grill Economist coming to you live, and this is a special, special, special broadcast. We have with us the one and only Doc Keck, aka Anthony Pena. And Anthony's here. And you 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 know, if you've been around the Rogue Discord, you probably know who he is. But a little intro for all of you on what Mr. Pena has been he's been doing. He's been creating a lot of trouble, a lot of mischief, and he is the director for the American Foundation of Informed Consent. He's the member of the Global COVID Summit, Free Doctors United, and Dr. Kevin W. McCain's Raccoon Bunker. He has extensive knowledge on the, on, on the pathophysiology of the spike protein and even principally concerned with the legally designating the S1 subunit of the spike protein, which is the therapeutic target that all these vaccines on the market are trying to target, so to speak, okay? And the causative agent for long COVID and as a biological agent on the state level. Now, he sued his governor to include informed consent on his executive order establishing vaccine mandates, which were removed. And he sued the Virginia Department of Health to designate S1 as a biological toxin utilizing human state, uh, human state, uh, utilizing state human research statutes, excuse me, where he learned med- uh, medical countermeasures released under the emergency youth author- authorization and are considered non-investigational legally and therefore does not qualify as human research. So Anthony went after the very thing that we all know is a big problem when it comes to the jib-jab, jibby-jab, and we know is a big problem when it comes down to this virus, which is the spike protein issue. So with that being said, Mr. Pena, welcome to Rogue. The floor is yours. If there's anything I missed on that intro, please feel free to fill in the audience. But I would love to welcome you on board. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you started. What 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 you know lit up your radar screen when it came to this whole entire pandemic? Go ahead. Uh, I- Greatly appreciate it, uh, V, and uh, to kind of get the floor and, um, you know, kind of share what I've learned and, you know, the um, initial impetus to kind of go through this uh, and kind of move forward was a combination of a couple things. Um, 
one, uh, extensive amount of research and also uh, motivation that I received. And I want to give a huge shout out to the Quite Frankly Discord yeah. uh, and specifically, you know, a channel which has kind of been removed. Um, but there, there was a, a, a huge amount of support um, in terms of trying to figure this out, uh, as well as uh, his show and, and bringing different, um, you know, experts to the front where, where I really learned a lot. Um, and then when the uh, when the when the state governor announced that uh, he was going to issuing the, the mandates itself, I, I took it as an act of war. And I really kind of took it upon myself to figure out what is the best way of, of, of exposing this thing uh, and attacking, you know, this from not only a, a psychological operation standpoint, but also from a public disclosure standpoint sure. to the biological reality that that's going on. And because of my research on the spike protein, um, specifically after finding um, Dr. Patterson's work, uh, mm. where he, he did an experiment, and he is a, a world chemokine and cytokine expert. So, mm. like, your immune system communicates with like interleukins and different chemicals, very similar to your, um, like, your 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 neurology, like your nervous system, right? Yeah. There's signals and then there's a, a chemical and, and that neurotransmitter is associated with certain behavior. Well, well in the same sense, uh, those cytokines and those chemokines uh, are indicative of certain immunological states. And what he determined, he was able to differentiate um, long COVID as a diagnosis with based upon specific biomarkers that exist. And he said that Long COVID is the S1 subunit when it's expressed by non-classical monocytes. So with that being the clinical definition with specific biomarkers, it, it would be safe to assume that without the S1 subunit, there would be no long COVID, mm. you know? So I really feel as though that piece, that, uh, you know, that, that, um, that discovery on his point, uh, laid the foundation for the biology that you know i have has since grown on um from that like different cascades that are resulting from different parts of the spike protein i can even go into that it's it's kind of uh, a ridiculous uh piece of uh, biological engineering and um so uh i quit my job and i was like well i i you know i'm kind of going against the powers that be i don't want to expose anyone else uh yeah. mandamus and um you know, uh, was was ultimately thrown out because the the new governor. I sued specifically to have the governor amend his executive order mm -hmm. that issued the mandate. And this is a Ralph Northam, right, of uh, of Virginia, correct? The original governor that you sued. Yep. So, you know, because the order was illegal because it didn't uh, include informed consent, was unlawfully unlawful, unlawfully discriminatory, a whole host of other things. Mm ultimately was thrown out for legal standing uh and then by that point yunkin had taken over he had rescinded um that specific order so there was uh, there was nothing to amend at that point you know kind of no remedy um and then i i, I took the lessons from that case and then i approached the virginia department of health again uh by sending them an email where they where i, I list specific administrative codes notating that uh they have a duty to report um unusual occurrences of viruses of public health threat mm. long covid is an unusual occurrence okay? sure and it's a direct sequel it's directly resulting from covid <clears throat> right? and it's also a disability so 
with with those two things uh, being the case, and with the S1 subunit being the causative agent of long COVID, the S1 subunit causes disabilities. It meets the legal definition of a biologic toxin in in Virginia. Other yeah. states, it's a biologic agent. You know, and and you can also make a case for a biological weapon. I heard Dr. David Martin make that case, and and it's stout. Um, go, going over the etymology of of, of how this thing kind of came about. So mm-hmm. t- take your pick, uh, really. Uh, so that being the foundation, with that being listed as a biologic toxin or agent, then anything making it in the body would have to be designated a toxic substance. Sure. Which would be the vaccines. Yeah. And, and then I also ask for notice of a healthcare-associated infection um, due to the possibility of uh, you know, getting long COVID. <laughs> mm-hmm. Say 30 to 40% of the people exposed to the S1 subunit, um, according to Dr. Patterson, develop long COVID. So, mm. You know that that's a lot more than any type of benefit that you could possibly really gain from, you know, a respiratory virus that you know has like a you know one percent. <laughs> sure. Tops. Right. Uh, and um, so exchanged emails, sued again. You know, legal standing again. And and I had made a a, a mistake in my filing, but um, ultimately the discovery that I made was that. Um, there were two things. One, the state does not have sovereign immunity when it comes to uh, reporting dangerous diseases and pathogens, at least yeah. not in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there are, you know, criminal and um, civil liabilities that uh, can be brought about. Um, ultimately, you know, the case failed. But with that knowledge, I'm, I'm kind of moving forward and realizing, you know, that there are kind of two ways to skin a cat. Uh, you know, one is on the compulsory reporting. Yeah, I got in a lawsuit for another, you know, year or two years. Um, but I, I think a lot more can be achieved from uh, an educational standpoint, just because there is a lot of mystery and smoke um, kind of surrounding long COVID uh, as a diagnosis and, and what it is. Yeah, definitely. So, Discovering this this whole uh, long COVID and its correlation to S1 protein, what else were you alarmed about that you discovered that this thing is is wreaking havoc uh, in the human immune system? But also, why do you think the 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 states and the and the, and the medical establishment and quote unquote the powers that be were so headstrong into forcing this down all our throats? Was this an agenda? Was this like, well, like, what? What is your opinion on this? Do you do you feel that this was, I mean, obviously premeditated, or these people are just willingly or or, or willfully the stupid? Well, it's not my opinion. It's my observation that mm. this is an active military operation Ooh. against the populace. Wow. I mean, so medical countermeasures and emergency use authorizations themselves are defined as such only because they are determined non-investigational. And it's only by the label of non-investigational that makes them medical countermeasures or emergency use authorizations. Got it. And, and that specific line item uh, falls under Section 564 of the FDCA, which is part of the 2004 National Defense Authorization Act. So wow. the only thing allowing this is defense legislation. National Security Council has uh, jurisdiction over this operation, so that way they can claim national security in the event of anything regarding uh, this specific release. That is that that is sickening, bro. So yeah. basically, we have this medical um, implementation, but this medical implementation of this experimental gene therapy 
is all done under the cloud umbrella and protection of a military operation. So they have complete plausible deniability and they could just say it's national security to thwart any sort of real investigation or counteraction against them. The top echelons of our federal government have been completely um, infiltrated. They are not for the betterment of the people. They are in active release of a biological weapon uh, against both, um, actually against both federal and state law. Uh, the only thing which authorizes a medical countermeasure for emergency use is a declared emergency. Uh, the reason that federal mandates were revoked was because federal courts ruled that the distribution of uh, vaccines to counter a virus of public health threat is non-economic activity. If it's non-economic activity, it's 10th Amendment. State powers, state police powers, state jurisdiction, state jurisdiction, state law governs this. Mm -hmm. And many states have revoked their emergency declarations last year and are operating in concert by continuing to support the distribution of this medical countermeasure to the general populace at large against the law. Um, and that's, that's another avenue. So that really, they're kind of two avenues. And when I, when I asked uh, Dr. David Martin um, this question specifically, what he said is that there was never a, a valid declaration ever announced in the first place, that he yeah. had checked um, all the declarations and found that actually one had left the metadata and it's just they are all operating in treason and this is the definition of treason period it's unbelievable and dr david martin he's the bald-headed guy if i remember correctly right yep yeah that guy's good that guy runs an analytics firm and uh they they do some impressive work just on raw data itself so this guy's pulling facts absolutely Unreal. And, and, and I had the fortune and honor to speak with him on a, a Twitter space hosted by uh, Wendy Mahoney. We mm -hmm. have to give another huge shout out to she wrote an article um, on her Substack, uh, you know, the fight to declare the S1 spike protein a biologic toxin or biologic agent now. And, um, you know, through her, I uh, was able to ask uh, Dr. Martin if he was aware of anything, you know, on the state level that we could do. Um, and he said that he had just started working recently and would be willing to work with me to maybe open up another front on, like, in the state that I'm in now. So that's, like, that would be huge, well, man. <laughs> you know? that, no, that would be huge. That would be huge. For, and here's the thing with, with, with uh, Martin. I'm going to play a quick clip here, and it's pr pretty funny that you mentioned him. I actually viewed this clip earlier in the day. It was just happened to be on my feed, and it's from London Reel. But this clip from uh, Dr. David Martin kind of spells a lot of things out, and I'll play it real quick. And I know you, and I'd love for you to hear to hear your comment about this. I'm the developer of linguistic genomics, which was the first platform on which you could determine the intent of communication rather than the literal artifact of communication. But we've also used that technology for a number of other applications in defense and intelligence and finance. And most notably, in the early 2000s, my company was responsible for bringing down what was, at the time, one of the largest tax frauds in U.S. history. We maintained a series of inquiries into every individual, every organization, and every company that is involved in anything that either blurs the line of biological and chemical weapons or crosses that line in any of 168 countries. In 1999, there were a million patents digitized by IBM. And those million patents were the first time human innovation had been put into an electronic digital searchable format. 
we took that information and we did a very simple exercise using our linguistic genomics technology. I made the horrific assessment that approximately one third of all patents filed in the United States were functional forgeries, meaning that while they had linguistic variations, they actually covered the same subject matter. In 1999, patents on coronavirus started showing up and thus began the rabbit trail. March 2003, panic grips Hong Kong as a deadly new virus sweeps through the city. In 2003, the Center for Disease Control saw the possibility of a gold strike. And that was the coronavirus outbreak that happened in Asia. They saw that a virus they knew could be easily manipulated was something that was very valuable. And in 2003, they sought to patent it. And they made sure that they controlled the proprietary rights to the disease, to the virus, and to its detection, and all of the measurement of it. We know that Anthony Fauci, that Ralph Barrick, that the Center for Disease Control, and the laundry list of people who wanted to take credit for inventing coronavirus, were at the hub of this story. From 2003 to 2018, they controlled 100% of the cash flow that built the empire around the industrial complex of coronavirus. The World Health Organization has officially named the, the novel coronavirus, coronavirus the novel coronavirus outbreak. The coronavirus is a pandemic, an international public health pandemic. emergency. Well, we know that the coronavirus manipulation started with Dr. Ralph Barrick in 1999. The major characteristics of SARS, MERS, and SARS coronavirus, too, it's a good way. Ralph Barrick is the researcher at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, who is famous for his chimeric coronavirus research. In 2002, there was a recognition that the coronavirus was seen as an exploitable mechanism for both good and ill. On April the 25th, 2003, the U.S. Center for Disease Control filed a patent on the coronavirus transmitted to humans. Under 35 U.S. Code Section 101, nature is prohibited from being patented. Either SARS coronavirus was manufactured, therefore making a patent on it legal, or it was natural, therefore making a patent on it illegal. If it was manufactured it was a violation of biological and chemical weapons, treaties, and laws. If it was natural, filing a patent on it was illegal. In either outcome, both are illegal. In the spring of 2007, the CDC filed a petition with the Patent Office to keep their application confidential and private. Hmm. They actually filed patents on not only the virus, but they also filed patents on its detection, and a kit to measure it. Because of that CDC patent, they had the ability to control who was authorized and who was not authorized to make independent inquiries into coronavirus. You cannot look at the virus, you cannot measure it, you cannot develop a test kit for it. And by ultimately receiving the patents that constrained anyone from using it, they had the means, they had the motive, and most of all, they had the monetary gain from turning coronavirus from a pathogen to profit. There you go.
That was explosive. That is explosive. And this is why, to this day, Anthony, I guess, this is the reason why no one's, quote-unquote, isolated the virus. Well, um, so they have isolated uh, sequences that are similar in scope to that which was provided by China in reference mm -hmm. to COVID-19. Yeah, uh, there is uh, one researcher, Rezia Pretorius, out of South Africa. There, there are a whole host, whole host of other um, doctors who've taken pictures of, you know, what was later genetically sequenced to match what was in there. Um, so, now, do all of the genetic, uh, were all of the coronaviruses around the world identical? No. If you go to, uh, I believe it's nextstrain.org, uh, they show how it was like each continent had its own phylogenetic release mm. uh, of what, you know, COVID-19 was ultimately, um, you know, and, you know, there are a lot of other individuals that say that, uh, you know, that a worldwide pandemic, you know, can't happen. That's true. Uh, actually, the genetics of the virus show that it's true, that they're more continental based um, but one of the common things of all of these carriers appears to be that spike protein and, you know, the measurement of what it appears, uh, you know, to be phylogenetically appears to be, uh, specifically related to the spike protein itself mm. and all of these other, um, variants and, you know, things that are coming out, the only thing that they're doing is cataloging the different spike proteins that exist, right? Got they're, it. they're not doing a complete, you know, workaround to, to even say how it's, you know, is this SARS-CoV-2 or not? No, it's just another, just another spike protein. Huh. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. That's a it's a great that is a great site great resource for anyone wanting to look at the history of it um, and you know kind of going over it one of one of the other aspects that uh, I believe can also be attacked because what Dr. David Martin lays out is the definition of a biological weapon you know the fact that you have patents you show that it's engineered you know the the fact that man has touched it means that they are manufacturing it that there is you know a synthetic base for it so you know weapon yeah as opposed as opposed to agent although it may be easier to get it designated as an agent or a toxin depending on circumstance so I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. So I think, um, you know, when you look at it where you can't patent something because, you know, it, it's either a bioweapon and you can't patent it because it's um, it's nature. So they're damned if they – both things like what David Martin is saying, it's illegal. So these, these guys are literally caught between a rock and a hard place. Mm -hmm. Explain – go ahead, Anthony. No, no, please, go ahead. What now, so because they're caught between a rock and a hard place, that kind of makes them vulnerable, doesn't it? Extremely, extremely vulnerable. And it's just a matter of uh, disclosing the fact that they knew and that they knew about the you know, pathophysiological effects because they had to. They have it patented. They can't say they didn't know. They controlled all of the money for it, you know. So what you have and what he lays out is, is, is a RICO case. It's a global conspiracy case utilizing, you know, federal tax funds in order to generate a virus of public health threat that was later released, whether by accident or by, 
you know, on purpose, doesn't matter. You know, it, it was the result of uh, research, which DARPA specifically ceased because of its danger. And then Fauci takes the methodology of this type of research and takes it from our shores where DARPA says, no, no, don't do it. And then plants it in our number one geostrategic adversary's backyard. Yeah. You have got to be out of your mind. You know, it's also from a from a defense intelligence and kind of like OPSEC standpoint, if something is so secret that our own defense intelligence apparatus is, you know, kind of research apparatus is saying, don't do this. But then you go back and you do it in China. My man. <laughs> it's unbelievable, man. It's absolutely unreal. You know, sick. Um, and, and, you know. And there are a lot of ways to attack it because, you know, the way that um, Dr. David Martin is, you know, approaching it is on federal statutes, you know, federal courts, federal jurisdiction. And and, uh, and I'm really looking for ways, you know, to, to bring this more to state and local level because mm -hmm. that's really where the change has to happen. And that's where, you know, another front to the fight can be opened. You know, and uh, I'm, I'm consistently coming back to the fact uh, that, the more that we do locally, the more that we can hold, you know, our own public health officials accountable to the truth once we uh, educate them and make them aware of what's going on in people's bodies. Because I want to go back to Dr. Patterson's work. You know, the reason why uh, his work is so amazing and so good and why it's also linked in that Wendy Mahoney article that that she released in her Substack article is that not only does it go over uh, the S1 subunit you know, being the causative agent in long COVID and, you know, what you can see, but he also provides biomarkers to differential diagnoses so that you're able to tell, you know, is this MECFS, is this myocarditis, you know, what is happening within the immune system so that you can treat the patient, right, based upon the things that are going on in their body at that time. So approaching health, health officials from like an olive branch educatory standpoint where, hey, you know, look at these all these other differential diagnoses that are that are associated with this with COVID nineteen, right? Here are specific biomarkers that you can look at, you know, to check for, with the S one subunit being part of that data set, and them having to react to it because that's the reality. He is the world expert on on chemokines and cytokines. He mm -hmm. knows what he's talking about. He's treated over fifty thousand patients. He runs a company to do the diagnostic himself, right? Hmm. So with that kind of medical foundation of credibility, you know, it's no longer, oh, look at this New York Times article, you know, look at this, you know, whatever. It's this is the top of his field, letting you know what to look for in your patients so that you can treat them and they can get better. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. So if that olive branch is, 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 is provided and the solutions, <laughs> the treatments to people's health is given, you know, and with that subset, the fact that S1 being the causative agent of long COVID would be accepted within the medical community, within treatment itself, and acknowledge as such, then those other com compulsory, you know, kind of legal aspects can start to be applied in a setting where its toxicity, its agency, you know, its effect on human biology is no longer in dispute. Right? Yeah, yeah then it's not conspiracy theory or whatever it's not that this is true and this is this is what we're doing because it helps people it definitely does yeah what what are some of the results you've seen from your lawsuit and how'd you go about it with virginia and also how is this going to be a a template 
for many others to follow in your footsteps in, in taking back our freedoms at a state and local level? So I've published all of my legal filings uh, on the foundation's website. You can go to forward questions here, FWD, like Frank Whiskey Delta, questionshere.com. Uh, and I have it all from start to finish. And, you know, you can, it is very extensive. You can educate yourself on how to uh, form a legal argument, the different elements uh, that are available. If you go under legal filings to date. And, legal filings uh, to date, yep, okay. And... What I've done is start to finish, just provide links to Script D where you, you, can, you can read the PDFs. Uh, and, you know, with, within each filing, there are two different lawsuits. One is a mandamus, the other is a declaratory judgment. You can start to get a sense for, you know, lawsuits aren't, it's not enough to just file a lawsuit. You have to file a specific type of lawsuit for a specific type of thing, mm -hmm. you know, in order to get remedy. And there are different ways of going about it. Um, so I believe that if anyone kind of goes through that, they'll have a sense of how to file a mandamus. They'll have a sense of how to file a declaratory judgment, which in Virginia, in order to have a civil suit, is the first bar that you have to um, jump over in order to get anything afterwards. So if you want anything from the state government, you have to get a declaratory judgment first, and then you can get like an injunction or whatever, because it's the, the width of a declaratory judgment which provides legal standing. It's almost like a lawsuit to establish legal standing itself. Wow. Yep. Hmm. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a massive work, and I recommend everybody to go check out uh, FWD Question Share. Questions here. Oh, I'm sorry, FWDQuestionsHere.com, and uh, go through the site and check out the sections. Everything from the analysis of the S1 spike protein, its causes, uh, what, and most importantly, can you explain to the layman why informed legal consent is so integral because these elitists they are hoping that we are completely ignorant of the law and our rights and then we start in, we start uh you know professing those laws and 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 those rights all of a sudden they like a bunch of vampires begin to rescind back into the shadows from whence they came so if you'd like to go into that that'd be awesome as well um uh, anthony Actually, uh, I'm glad you asked that question because uh, in this case, it's it's kind of backwards. <clears throat> when dealing with medical countermeasures uh, under Section 564, um, what they say is that uh, typically fact sheets given from industry are the only thing that you'll need to provide. Mm. Uh, but they also say that um, a notice have to, has to be given to the risks and benefits and to the extent to which they are unknown. Okay. So... <laughs> In terms of Section 564, that is the only element or aspect of informed consent that is required to be given. So typically, fact sheets, however, risks and benefits and the extent to which they are unknown. The, the fact that S1 not being associated with long COVID or at least being suppressed or not le legal being recognized as such or medically or clinically or however you want to define it, you know, once that happens, then, and, and the fact that it is that case right now, there is a deficiency even within 
the way that informed consent is written for medical countermeasures in the way that it's delivered because it does not include any information regarding long COVID yeah. or the possibility of getting it or um, any notice to which um, the risks and benefits of getting it are unknown. There is mm. some chance and there's some possibility, there is some risk, and that has to be given. So that's that's the first part. The second part really has to come down to juri- comes down to jurisdiction and the states. Mm. And right now, uh, the states are saying it's the feds, and according to case law, the feds are saying, oh no, it's the states. So when you participate with, uh, uh, when you're a stakeholder and participating with the federal government as a stakeholder, a shareholder, it is my contention, although this hasn't been established in law, there needs to be a case for it, that it's the, the state laws which would govern informed consent. So however it is, you know, and I believe in, in uh, what I put in there is Virginia's uh, informed consent statutes as mm-hmm. it relates. And, and there's two there's two different avenues of informed consent. One is for human research, and then the other uh, is for uh, like private entities, like medical, um, like medical providers. I sued the state directly for this. Mm. You know, I didn't sue a private hospital or a private entity for this yet. Mm. You wow. know, um, because if it if it were through a to, to a private entity uh, utilizing what it is that I found, you would win. Like there's clear deficiencies, uh, and and it's my contention that everyone is given uh, the arguments that they need within my legal filings. They would just need to transpose the codes to the um, informed consent statutes as they relate to medical, private medical providers uh, in your state. That's another avenue, especially if you've been injured. Mm. Huge. Yep. Doc Keck, we have your uh, your Substack here, and people can go check it out. You got a lot of interesting articles. What else would you like for us to to know about the fight here? Where do you think this fight is going to go? Are things looking better? And why is it so important that we start establishing a beachhead, uh, especially on some of these victories that we're winning when it comes to COVID? And how that will benefit us in 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 a, in a jurisdictional and legal way, protecting us from the next scandemic. The the more you know, the more dangerous that you are, and the more local you are, the more impact it will have. So, you know, looking on, like just local avenues to approach and compel the. Um, executive branch, whether it's a state or a municipal, uh, whether it's like a, a city or a county area to do certain things and what it is that you want, which is basically to ensure that they're upholding your rights and protecting your health and, and upholding the constitution. The more that your local uh, uh, representatives are made aware that mm-hmm. there are people who are paying attention, the less that they're going to veer off course. And the more likelihood that you'll be able to work with them to go over or or to a larger fish. Meaning, if you are able to get a county, a city, a town organized around getting the S1 subunit designated itself as a biologic agent 
or biologic toxin because it causes long COVID, then you're able to operate not only as an individual, but as a municipality, as that city. Then it's no longer you fighting. This isn't the last time something like this is going to happen. So the more that you're able to get involved now, know what levers to pull now, in the future, if this comes, you already know where to go. And the response will be faster at this point. So this is a good time to pathfind and figure out um, what it is that you do need to do so that you can do it now, but also so that you can educate others in the future should this ever happen again. Absolutely. With that being said, Doc Heck, I mean, you, you, I mean, this is like a lot of information that you've disclosed to us. Uh, anything else that you would like to say to the audience and how can people follow you? Uh, you can follow me on uh, Pangloss, uh, at Pangloss Doc on Twitter, um, Substack, uh, Doc Keck. Um, also, I, I do publish, uh, and because I'm the executive director for the American Foundation for Informed Consent at uh, Forward Questions here. Uh, I would also check out, uh, quite frankly, show 7 to 9 as well. Uh, you know, a huge supporter, Wendy Mahoney. Um, you know, huge shout out to them. Uh, Kevin McCarron, uh, as well as the Rac- Raccoon Bunker, wanted to give a shout out. I, I do have um, a specific channel on there, um, you know, and find me. I'm, I'm happy to talk uh, and, and express, um, you know, be of help wherever it is that I can. I, I do want to share kind of some um, helpful things from yeah. from a health standpoint. Absolutely. Uh, um, it is making the rounds, but natokinase, N-A-T-T-O-K-I-N-A-S-E. Yeah, natokinase is an enzyme. Yes, sir. Yeah, I remember natokinase uh, for the treatment of uh, about 10 years ago. I was looking at it for treatment for blood pressure as one of the benefits, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it's been shown to break down the proteins um, within the body, so to help you clear spike. Uh, doctor, mm. uh, within the Free Doctors United, they suggested anywhere between 4,000 to 6,000 units. Uh, I would suggest always, again, speaking with a pharmacist or a compound pharmacist because they tend to be outside of the system um, to kind of figure out if there's like body dosage or any counterindications with other uh, medications that you're taking. Uh, uh, Serapeptase, S-E-R-R-A-P-E-P-E. Mm-hmm. Peptase uh, is uh, was also indicated. They had mentioned 120,000 to 240,000 units, so a little bit of, of a heavier load on that. Um, I would also say, uh, in acute settings, uh, if you're dealing with kind of us, uh, upper respiratory um, uh, issues, um, doing a, a nebulizer of um, acetylcysteine. Uh, mm-hmm. will also help uh, in addition to like a budesonide or some other type of corticosteroid. Uh, it was interesting that uh, found that, um, is it called? A disulfide bonds are mm-hmm. kind of a, the chemical bond that hold most uh, viruses together and acetylcysteine kind of attacks those type of bonds. So you're able to kind of attack it from a, a, a chemical structure level and nice. help it dissolve and dissipate it, you know, if anybody's in, a, in an acute setting. Um, for uh, individuals who are ever in a cytokine storm and things are really bad, you're starting to get into like, this is chronic, like last minute, you know, like, what do we do type of thing? Yeah. Uh, there was a study um, and, and a product called uh, Cytosorb. So C-Y-T-O-S-O-R-B, Cytosorb mm-hmm. blood mm-hmm. filter. Um, and if it uh, is run through, it's kind of like a dialysis machine. So it's kind of apheresis or plasmapheresis uh and, and it runs it through the filter it'll filter out the cytokines put the blood back in and kind of save you from that storm because um, once the cytokines get loose uh 
cytokines, chemokines, once they get loose within the body, uh, they are neurodegenerative themselves and they mm -hmm. become, and they become endocrine and hormones themselves. It was interesting because I, I was on a, uh, on a, on a call after the whole Pfizer, um, uh, think came out with uh, project veritas yeah uh, fertility wa was a, a subject and um and i had mentioned uh to them kind of lost my train of thought there <laughs> hmm. um oh, they were looking for uh for hormone dysregulation within um like the hippocampus pituitary kind of like yeah, the HPO axis, mm -hmm. uh, and they're like, man, there's some hormones. There's some hormones. You know, we see all these cytokines, but you know, where are the hormones? And in my brain, I'm like, no, cytokines are hormones, but because <laughs> they're, but because they're obstetrics, you know, they just in their brain. You know, it's kind of like the whole wordplay and definition. It's just like, well, it's not a hormone. That's a cytokine. You know, like no, they can turn that way. So wow, yeah, it, it's interesting, kind of being on the outside. Like I myself, I'm not a trained doctor. I just read a lot. I'm I'm just a, a nerd, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a lawyer. I just I can reason, uh, which is really the only thing that law is. It's just a big logic puzzle. They Correct. Get pieces, and you just got to know which ones to plug in, where to get whatever it is that you want. Correct. So, kind of being on, having no background, and kind of looking at this from kind of a non-professional view, does have its own advantages at times. Um just to kind of help to fill in gaps from people that are, they're just blind to because they don't, you know, they're so sure of their own understanding of what it is that they know that they don't contemplate anything outside of that until it's like, yeah. oh, hey. <laughs> so it's good. Exactly. Very well said. Duck Keck on with us today, folks. And folks, you can follow his work over at his Substack. Doc, uh, and his Substack is, I have it over here. URL. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have CJ post all of this uh, to the uh, the uh, description box. Uh, I am flying solo today. Well, this is what happens when I don't have CJ. Everything is uh, it's overwhelming. But luckily, I haven't hit the wrong button and and uh, muted myself or muted you or or crashed the broadcast or <laughs> or or we we could have went live or we thought we were live but we weren't live and you and I have just been talking for the. The, you know, for like the next hour, not, and there's like nobody listening in. That that would be terrible too. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened before, so don't laugh. No. <laughs> Bananas. Oh, yep. Anthony, uh, thank you so much, man. Listen, I want to do this again with you. Um, I'd love to have you back on uh, if you're up to it. I, I know there's a lot of things that you're active with in this community, and anything you else you you can bring to the table in terms of uh, of arming us. As a, as, a, as a listener group so we can be better prepared for taking down this lie and all the foreseeable lies because how we handle this nonsense and this BS is is is, is going to be how how it's going to be predicated on how we handle the next quote-unquote pandemic because after all Bill Gates told us huh, uh, there'll be another one exactly only thing we can do is prepare and uh, line up our fires to make sure that the torch is, you know, burnt bright and we can shine it, shine that light wherever it needs to go, you know. Absolutely. Very well said. Keep the watch. Doc Keck, thank you so much for joining us, folks. Thank you all for listening in. And we'll be back tomorrow. Vela's at 11 a.m. Don't miss it. And uh, with that being said, I'm going to take it away because CJ's not here. Cheers, everybody. Many blessings.